Well, hello again, Tony Payne here. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. Hope you're well and have been having a good week. I've been having a fairly busy one. It's been one of those productive kind of weeks, though, and I've been able to tick a few things off the list. It's always nice to have one of those. Uh, The Two Ways to Live evangelistic book that I've been working on, I did a little bit more work on the final manuscript of that, and it's kind of off my plate now. And with the Matthias Media team, I'm pretty excited that that one's done. And the Share the Gospel resource. That's kind of part two of the new Two Ways to Live set of resources. There's Learn the Gospel and then there's Share the Gospel. The Share the Gospel manuscripts in editing and I've been back and forward with the editor this week and it's exciting to see that reach its just about final form. And the other thing that happened this week, just last night, was the Centre for Christian Living event on deception at Moore College. Uh, It was a great fun night, thanks to those of you who came along and those who tuned in online. And if you missed out on that for whatever reason, I believe that the video and audio of the event will be available soon on the Centre for Christian Living website. That's ccl.more.edu.au. The other thing I've been thinking quite a bit about this week, and it's a subject of this week's episode is Ecclesiastes. We've been studying that confounding, challenging Old Testament book at church recently in preaching and in Bible studies. And if you remember anything about Ecclesiastes, you'll probably remember two things. It goes on a lot about vanity, vanity or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Life is really hard and difficult. It goes round and round in circles and it's hard to make any sense of it. There's this very pessimistic view of life and the world under the sun that runs right through the book. And you'll probably also remember chapter three, where he talks about there being a time for everything. There's a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die and so on. And what I've been thinking about this week is, I wonder if there's a time for Ecclesiastes itself. Is the pessimistic view of the world that Ecclesiastes puts forward, is it in some way limited to its pre-Christian or pre-Christ time? Or is the sobering message about the vacuousness of life that it puts forward, is that just as true today and relevant for us today, this side of the redeeming and revealing work of Christ? And the answer makes quite a bit of difference to how you read and apply this wonderful book. If the vanity of life under the sun is really a kind of pre-Christ despair that Christ comes to solve and fix, then I guess Ecclesiastes tells us more about what the Christian life is not than what it is. Now, that would still make it a very useful and challenging part of Scripture, but in its own particular way, it would function as a kind of critique or or categoria of humanity's doomed attempt to find wisdom and meaning on our own terms or by our own lights under the sun. And I guess it would be a warning to Christians not to fall into that way of thinking, not to fall into proud or worldly attitudes towards riches or work or pleasure. That way of reading Ecclesiastes makes some sense of the book, but would it actually then provide any positive wisdom for our lives as Christians, or not so much? Perhaps to take the most striking example to me, and that is, should we eat, drink and be merry, or not? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, eat, drink and be merry is a kind of hedonistic, live-for-the-moment approach that's the kind of thing that people do who deny the resurrection. 
if Christ is not raised, then what's the point? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you might as well live it up and enjoy each passing moment because that's all there is. We kind of be like James Taylor in his song, The Secret of Life. The Secret of Life is enjoying the passage of time. Nobody knows how we got to the top of the hill, but since we're on our way down, we might as well enjoy the ride, says James Taylor. Now, Paul seems to critique that kind of attitude as being dismal and anti-resurrection. But when we turn to Ecclesiastes, we find the preacher giving his readers exactly this kind of James Taylor advice, and often. For example, after describing just how capricious and unjust and vain and meaningless man's constant striving for wealth is, he says this in chapter 5, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20. He's saying you might as well enjoy the moment because that's the best we can hope for in this somewhat confusing, confounding, hard-to-understand world. And he says very much the same sort of thing in chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, in chapter 3, 9 to 13, just after the famous There is a Time passage, in chapter 8, uh, and in this classic from chapter 9, very lovely passage, which I sometimes like to write out in nice kind of cursive handwriting and put on a beautiful card and give to my wife on our anniversary, uh, these beautiful words, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And that happy little passage is in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 9 and 10. In other words, the constant conclusion of the preacher of Ecclesiastes is that life is opaque and it's a bit of a mess. Not only do bad and unjust things happen to people, but we can never really grasp why. We can't see through our circumstances to decipher their meaning or end, apart from the fact that we know what our end is going to be. We're all going to die. And so, as he says in the famous chapter 3, in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Beautiful means they're appropriate, right, fitting. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put the vast continuum of time within man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, you might have noticed that I didn't say he has also put eternity into man's heart, which is what that verse normally is translated as saying. Because the word eternity that's there in the Hebrew, it, it doesn't really mean eternity as in the realm of God, where God lives. It's, he's not saying we've put a, he's put a consciousness of God into man's heart. The word simply means a vast expanse of time, a long duration of time, whether time in the past, stretching backwards into the distant past, or time stretching forward into the distant future. 
He's put into the heart of man a sense of the enormous past and enormous future in which we now live. So I kind of translated it, he's put the vast continuum of time into man's heart. So God has put into our hearts an awareness that we've come from somewhere a long time ago and we're going somewhere in the future, that we exist at one point on a long stretch of time going backwards and forwards. And so we sense that life should mean something, that we came from somewhere, that we're going somewhere. And indeed, we constantly experience the beauty or fittingness of each individual event that we come to in our time. And yet that larger picture of what it all means from beginning to end is hidden from us. We just can't see it. We can't see what's coming next, nor can we really comprehend the significance of everything that has happened in the past because it often just doesn't seem to work out. It often doesn't make sense to us. So just when we think we understand what's going on, perhaps, and have some things sorted out and planned out in our present, it all kind of slips through our fingers and evades us. This is what he means when he keeps saying that life is vain or meaningless, that it is hebel in, in Hebrew. It's wispy, it's evasive, we can't grasp hold of it. It's an airy nothing in Shakespeare's language that we desperately try to pin down with the local habitation and a name, but we fail to. Now these God-given limitations, says the preacher, are meant to humble us. God did it this way, he says, to cut us down to size, to help us realize that everything we work at and achieve and obtain is really a gift from him to be enjoyed as it comes to us from him, as we fear him. And this is why his overarching advice is to fear God, to do good, to keep his commandments and to enjoy whatever gifts come to you from God's hand, including eating and drinking and enjoying the satisfaction and fruit of your toil, because God is the one who understands it all and who will bring everything into judgment, not us. Looked at in this light, perhaps the preacher's advice is not as different from Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 15 as we might first think. Because the person who denies the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 is denying the reality of God's judgment, that God will raise all and will judge all. And of course, he's also denying the forgiveness of sins in that judgment. And so he plunges desperately into hedonism because that's all there is. Whereas the Christian knows that there is judgment coming because Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's why we're bold to face life's struggles and disappointments, as Paul points out in the previous verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Why would we trust God in the face of danger or conflict or persecution or death? Why would we put up with that? Why would we willingly engage in that? Unless by standing fast in the gospel of Christ's death, we trust in the resurrection of the dead and of our salvation in that resurrection. Christians have an understanding of God's eternal purposes in judgment and salvation in Christ that the authors of the Old Testament didn't have, that in fact they could only dream of. That's why our gospel labor in the Lord is never in vain because of the resurrection of Christ, as he goes on to say later in chapter 15. But I think our life here and now does continue to be opaque to us 
in just the way that Ecclesiastes describes. The groaning frustration and futility of life in this fallen world, it remains our portion and our lot as we patiently wait and hope for the resurrection and redemption of our bodies. That's a little kind of summary of Romans 8 there. We're still confounded by the unpredictability and injustice of life under the sun. Our life is still an elusive vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes, and which makes all our plans really only plans that we can put in the Lord's hands and not our own. That's a little summary of James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. All of which means that there's still a very Christian way to enjoy the moment in Ecclesiastes style. We should by all means be prudent and plan for the future, but we shouldn't for a moment think that the future is in our grasp, either in the plans that we have for our lives and our families and our businesses and our projects, or in the ministry strategies, for that matter, that we organise ourselves around a church. Our eternal future, our future in judgment, is quite certain. We don't need to despair. We don't need to give ourselves up to hedonism because there's nothing else. But next week's future is not certain. We don't know what it is. Now, our response to that uncertainty should certainly be to pray and to lay all our plans and anxieties before him. But Ecclesiastes also reminds us that the godly response to this uncertainty is to enjoy what God has given us in this moment. We should revel in and enjoy all the good things that do come to us from God's hand, whether that's food or drink or the fruits of our earthly labours, or the fruits of our ministry labours, for that matter. When God gives us that kind of moment, we should enjoy the moment, fearing God and obeying his commandments as we do so. There are a few thoughts on Ecclesiastes, and especially why it's kind of a realistic view of the world and the opacity of the world's events is still very relevant for us today. I think sometimes Christians can fall into the trap of thinking because Christ has come and because so much has been revealed to us about the nature of the world and its future and God's plans and there's a sense of fulfillment and completion that's marvellous, that somehow that means that the world is now an open book to us, that we can understand everything that's going on and that when any event happens, we can say, oh, God meant it for this reason or that reason. But it's not the case. Our life now still remains opaque to us in so many of its details. We can sense that certain things are fitting and that certain things work and that certain plans might produce certain results. But the overall scheme of our lives, what will happen next, what what really was the meaning of what happened last week, these things are very difficult for us to understand. We need to cut ourselves down to size and realise that God is the one who sees all and knows all and judges all and that we should entrust ourselves to him. And that's why, in the sense, living in the moment and enjoying the moment is a very Christian thing to do. Almost as Jesus said, don't be anxious too much about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. Occupy yourself with the kingdom and with God's righteousness, with what he's put in front of you today, and leave tomorrow in his hands. Well, if you'd like to do a little bit more thinking in Ecclesiastes, as I've been looking back at it again recently, I've enjoyed once more looking at the old Matthias Media interactive Bible study on Ecclesiastes, The Search for Meaning, 
that we put out ooh, more than a decade ago or so now. Perhaps maybe it's 20 years ago now. I, I can't remember when we published it. But it's a terrific study on Ecclesiastes. And if you'd like to jump into Ecclesiastes in a small group or just for your own study, let me recommend that, The Search for Meaning in the IBS series that MM put out some time ago. Well, that's about it for this week. Great to be with you again. Look forward to talking again soon. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.